Hello and welcome to the Found Cause, where we found our cause and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael Ben behind the machine into my virtual front. It's Sebastian, the bookkeeper. Sebastian is hunkered down in a new apartment. You can see he's got a different background behind him, and not only is he showing off his new place, he's also hunkering down from like two feet of snow or something you're supposed to get here in Minnesota in the next couple of days. So um, we're doing it virtual. Today is a topic near and dear to my personal heart because. Um, in my, my elder years here, hauled up in the snow of Minnesota, I've become somewhat of a keyboard warrior. And um, whether it's that of being shy or just that he doesn't have access to the Found Cause account because of some weird Google security policy, Sebastian is not uh, the man behind the keyboard as far as it goes to our commenters. So we have a ton of commenters. Um, and one has stood out in particular. I think and this is a very hard title to get. I think he has just crossed the line of the most commented commenter of all of ours that we've gone back and forth on and it's a gentleman named eric alharb he is eastern orthodox and he had um, one of the most interesting text conversations i've ever had um, in our comment channels multiple videos following me around sometimes it got heated sometimes it didn't um, but he finally ended it and said you know peace out i hate you he said that a couple times but like finally ended it and he hasn't replied back yet so maybe he's finally done so in honor of him we're going to do a top five reasons we are not eastern orthodox um, before we get into that though if you've seen our podcast before, we have talked on Eastern Orthodox people before in theology, and Sebastian is very deep into the knowledge, as per usual, on, on Eastern Orthodox teachings. He's got several books he's going to quote um, during our podcast today. Um, so if you want real deep teaching on what they believe without our interjections of the top five reasons we aren't that, um, probably go watch a different channel. But also we have Eastern Orthodox videos um, that, that are more in-depth, a little bit more non-cursory. Um, but this one, just to be brief, Eastern Orthodoxy is uh, the tradition of Christianity that is east of Rome, hence why it's called Eastern Orthodox. Um, there are more Eastern beliefs, so um, shouldn't be confused with just straight up Eastern Christianity, which is like the passion project of Sebastian, um, which we have talked about at length in multi-hour episodes, if you ever are curious. Um, Sebastian's a real digging in. Honestly, like you'd think our 200 subscriber podcast would not be on the cutting edge of anything, um, but I have a sincere belief that Sebastian is one of the very few individuals that is researching and digging into the Eastern Church. So um, unique content for the channel, what can I say? But So don't get it confused with Eastern Christianity. Eastern Orthodox is really like middle Christianity. It's, it's between Rome and Persia. It's Russia, it's Greece, it's the Balkans, and it's uh, the Near East and Egypt. Um, Egypt's kind of Coptic these days, and some of the, the Near East is kind of Coptic in different traditions too. Um, so really Russia is a, is a concentration as well as the Greek Orthodox and some of the Balkans. So it's that's geographically where Eastern Christianity comes from, Eastern Orthodox Christianity. Um, the Orthodox comes from the fact that they had been Orthodox for a long time, meaning like properly Christian. They weren't, they weren't fringes, they were the mainline church. Um, these days, they have um, petered out as atheism and, and communism and Islam kind of devastated that region of the world. But uh, they have several key differences with what we would call gospel-believing churches for the most part. Just like Catholic churches, um, we're not saying that every Eastern Orthodox person is a non-Christian because it's a state church pretty much in most places that it's practiced. And so there's bound to be real Christians that are just caught up in the state church practice. But we'd say as official church teaching, they reject the gospel. And uh, we'll get into the five reasons that we are not. You think the gospel is going to be high up on that list. Um, but Sebastian, I don't know if you have any other like tiny little differences. I know we can go on all day, but anything I'm missing here before we actually dive into the reasons we're not Eastern Orthodox? Uh, yes, they've always tried to keep a distinct identity, neither Protestant nor Catholic. Mm -hmm. 
and since the schism really in 1054 where they separated from the papacy or they would say the papacy separated from them regardless and they try to keep their own identity and they also have different focuses when it comes to theology we will go over that in our reasons why we're not eastern orthodox and i want to say before we start diving in because i think you covered general information we have a more detailed video on this while we do enjoy poking fun of other uh, theological systems or groups we don't have any evil intent or animosity or hatred towards Eastern Orthodox. We want to call them to know the real Jesus Christ, to have peace with God, permanent peace with God, not a uh, recurring system of sacraments or uh, sanctification, but rather to have real peace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we don't have any hatred towards these people. We'd like to you know, poke fun a bit, but that's for, that's for the sake of the, of the channel. Yeah, I also want to that. say, exactly. I also do want to say, you're going to hear a lot of critique. We do respect, and Michael and I have had long conversations about this in the past, that Eastern Orthodox had contributed great things to Christianity as a whole through the Middle Ages, even up past the Reformation. They have, after the Reformation, they kind of rejected a lot of the, of the teachings that were... Uh, pushed then and we've quoted from the Cappadocian Fathers. They solidified the doctrine of the Trinity. They destroyed Arianism. Excellent stuff. And we've quoted from Gregory Nazianzen, an Eastern Orthodox fellow. And over and over we've quoted from John Chrysostom, who is also Eastern Orthodox, one of the main figures there, but I would say he had a system of beliefs that would have been looked like Protestants and also like Eastern Orthodox. So showing how it changed over time. And I appreciate really their essence and energy's distinction. I think we talked about it when the is God simple, the simplicity of God. So you know mm -hmm. they have they have done very good contributions to Christendom as a whole. So do not get us wrong. We're not here just to bash and destroy. Like there are good, genuine good things that they have contributed to the faith. However, they they do interpret the Bible differently, and we're gonna go over that and they have a different focus when it comes to the understanding of god and it's more mystical so we will dive into that yeah is there anything else you want to add michael uh, i mean this this is a typical disclaimer i think for most quote-unquote apostolic churches anybody who used to be part of the christian faith is going to have a christian heritage that we point to and, and smile at um it's when they leave the gospel that there are problems so the same with like yeah. seminaries you know wheaton wheaton seminary is a famous seminary a lot of great people came from wheaton but these days wheaton is pretty liberal and so we point to wheaton and say it's no longer a good seminary um that doesn't mean it never was good and that anybody that came from wheaton is bad and there can be people who come from wheaton today that survived um it's apostasy but in the same way the eastern orthodox church was christian and so we share a common tradition with them same church fathers um, a lot of common people we'd all call on um, but they have slowly over the ages left the gospel and now they officially stand against the gospel. So that's that's why we call them out today. Okay. All right. Well, without further ado, Sebastian, you know how these episodes go. We're going to start with the least important reason in our top five on why we personally are not Eastern Orthodox. And we'll compare. We we haven't, um, we did actually right before this episode, share with each other. So I guess we do have a preview. Um, but it's kind of a surprise to us on why and how we ranked until we hear each other describe why we ranked these uh positions where we did. So I'll leave it to you, Sebastian. What is your least important reason why you are not Eastern Orthodox? Sure. I'll give an honorary mention. You you alluded to this. 
that I was not born in an Eastern Orthodox country. And I don't mean that as a, as a, as a joke or to be not serious, but rather to show that over the past few centuries, they have really stopped evangelizing beyond their borders and have focused on internal matters like the Church of Bulgaria. It is the Eastern Orthodox Church of Bulgaria. The Church of Greece is the Church of Greece. The Church of Russia stays in Russia. So the fact that we are not part of those countries really affects since they don't evangelize compared to many Protestants or even Roman Catholics like Jesuits. They haven't really gone outside of their borders. So that's an honorary mention. But my real... Uh, least important reason of why I'm not Eastern Orthodox is the, the way they do theology. It's called apophatic theology. And the focus of that kind of thinking approach to the study of God is to f concentrate on what God is not versus what he is. So you focus on understanding what God cannot be rather than what saying uh, or writing what he actually is. And my impression has been from what I'm reading from people like uh, Vladimir Lossky, one of the main writers in the modern age for Eastern Orthodoxy, he was an expat from Russia, is that that has led to a more mystical understanding of Christian life and of the relationship we have with God to the point that in, East, in Eastern Orthodoxy, the goal of some uh, theologians, and actually I'll, I'll say this, the, the word theologian in the Eastern in Eastern Orthodoxy is not someone who studies God, but rather someone who is seeking to contemplate and have a vis a divine vision of God. Theoria, theoria is a contemplation, or see the light of Tabor. You know, when Jesus was transfigured, some theologians, in that sense, in this mystical sense, have claimed to have seen uh, images of uh, visions of Jesus or an angel or Virgin Mary throughout the centuries. So, I would say that that approach to the to understanding of god has changed to be more of an experience-based study and yeah. that's why i am not eastern orthodox yeah and again it's the least important so it's not it's not core to the gospel or something you don't appreciate i also put as my number five spiritualism so not quite as sophisticated as you to call it apopathetic theology <laughs> whatever you call it um but it's it's that same vein in that um well-intentioned supposedly well-studied eastern orthodox because it's like part of their church tradition to just destroy scholars and to like scoff at anybody who tries to study the text um they mostly don't and uh, they rely heavily i mean it's just it's a lot like the catholic church in this way not that it's the same theologies and same traditions but that um they treat tradition the same way basically tradition is unquestionable and it's not built in the bible it's built on like what your rabbi said so there, you know, big papa told my papa that his papa told my papa that um, the Virgin Mary ascended to heaven, and so she did. Whereas the Catholic Church would kind of say that, but they'd also say the Pope said so, so now it's official. Um, Eastern Orthodox is not not as that way, but um, they're way more spiritual than Catholics because Catholics, for the most part, I mean, it depends on your Catholics, because Roman Catholics are such a huge movement, uh, but they're a little more doctrinal um, in that they write their stuff down, they're very disciplined, at least a sect of them are, and whereas the Eastern Orthodox will have huge theologies built on, like you said, meditation. It's not really on the word of God. It's really on traditions. And they don't really care. Like they, they hardly ever debate because one, the whole state church thing. But two, they really don't care what um, the text mostly has to say. They mostly care about like what do they feel. Um, 
what are the basic truths of Christianity um, and all the rest of the details don't really matter. So I think that is extremely weak. Like you said, Sebastian, um, I guess it could also come down to why they define what God is not instead of what he is, because they really don't want to get into the nitty gritty details of um, the faith. They really just want some basic guidelines so that they can go off to a rooftop and kind of do Christianity the way their fathers always have. Um, And I, I don't appreciate that. I think it lets a lot of bad practice in. Yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree. You put it spot, uh, spot on on that. So if you are, at least in the Middle Ages, if you are thinking we cannot really understand God fully, then by logic, you're going to try to a, a different approach, how to experience the energies of God, like the love, the mercy of God. So you're going to seek after that. If you go to Mount Athos today in northern Greece, all they're doing is either meditating or well, not meditating, but you, you get what I'm saying, prayer and repetitive prayers, chanting. They have beautiful chants, but if it's repetitive, it's kind of strange if you're trying to get into a trance and contemplative prayer. So very, very bizarre. And it gets down to the whole concept of theosis, which we will discuss later on the the list of things, I'm sure. But it it speaks to bigger problems in their church than just the fact that they are kind of monkey. All right. That was our number five, our least important reason. Sebastian, what is your number four, your second least important reason that you are not Eastern Orthodox? Sure. For me, it would be the icons and the Eastern Orthodox really like their icons. I have been, I was in, I've been to a couple of Eastern Orthodox churches. Very nice on the outside. The moment you step in, every single inch or centimeter, if you're European, covered in icons of saints, of Mary, of Jesus, everything, everything, paintings. Big distinction from Catholics, though. They don't have 3D images. They are very adamant and they're very against that. So, but they say that 2D images are okay. So everything is covered in 2D images of the saints. They have, we've gone in, I think we've gone this in detail in the other, in another episode that they represent the communion of heaven. So, you know, they have their own understanding teachings on why we cover literally every, every part of the church in icons, but as we're gonna, as probably you're gonna talk about Michael, there is a huge problem with icons. I will leave that to you. What I do want to say though is that the Eastern Church, from the Second Council of Constantinople, I'll, I'll quote from it. This is why again, why I cannot be an Eastern Orthodox because of their claim that uh, those who do not hold so let them be anathema. Those who do not think thus, let them be driven far away from the church, for we follow the most ancient legislation of the Catholic Church, this is before the schism, so the universal church. We keep the laws of the fathers, we anathematize those who add anything, who add, uh, who add anything to or take anything away from the Catholic Church. We anathematize the introduced novelty of the revilers of Christians, the iconoclasts. We salute the venerable images. We place under anathema those who do not do this. Anathema to them who presume to apply to the venerable images, icons, the things said in Holy Scripture about idols. Anathema to those who do not salute with proper reverence the holy and venerable images. Anathema to those who call the sacred images idols. Anathema to those who say that Christians resort to the sacred images as to gods. Anathema to those who say that any other delivered us from idols except Christ our God. Anathema to those who dare to say that any time the Catholic Church received idols. End quote. So they don't like to define many things, but they definitely defined their doctrine on um, holy icons. 
I would, this is my opinion again, in our channel, the way that in practice, icons affect the life of your daily um, visiting Eastern Orthodox to a church is not the same as it would to a very well-learned and read uh, Eastern Orthodox writer or theologian. To a random babushka that goes to a church, the line between an idolatry and veneration of an icon is very, very thin, if not completely gone, when people go to these churches to seek the energies of God, to seek blessing to some saint from some saint or receive uh, divine help. That is pretty, in my opinion, that is pretty much the same as idolatry from the Old Testament. So I understand they try to uh, excuse or define that, no, 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 we're not worshiping, we're not praying to these things. Yes, I understand for some theologian, but for the daily person, it pretty much falls in uh, for a regular person, excuse me, falls in idolatry, and that is what. And because of the anathema that you must show proper reverence to, what I would say is an idol, I cannot be an Eastern Orthodox. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's higher up on my list, so you'll see it, like you said, Sebastian. Uh, but you said basically what I would have to say, and that idols um, are are images that you revere, and and pray to and that is what they do they they pray to the saints hoping they will intercede to god on their behalf and they bow and kiss and light candles to the pictures and uh, what's even weirder and i think specific to eastern orthodox tradition is uh, icons the, re the reason we call these these images icons instead of just images or idols or whatever else is that they are specific drawings of the saints so for instance there are multiple icons of mary mother of jesus and um, some would be particular adherence to one particular icon and some would be to others just like idols and false gods like just like they did back in the days that they had certain depictions of um isis and and uh, zeus and whatever else there are particular depictions supposedly like there's this one famous mary holding jesus icon um that was supposedly drawn by saint luke himself and uh they're like this is it uh, <laughs> okay okay i mean whatever like I, I, even if luke drew said icon um which it's quite um byzantine looking so i don't think it was luke but whatever um even if it was okay it, it, it doesn't mean that it is um like why is it so revered we we appreciate mary as a fellow christian as we do many of the people who have icons of them but that does not mean you should hold their icons as anything sacred or holy i mean 100 percent agree with you there sebastian that it is um like you said, they don't like to, to stick their neck out on a lot of things, but they have stuck their neck out on a couple of the important things that we would very disagree with them with, and they place the weight of the anathema on it. And please, we're not being cheeky or even seeking to be disrespectful, but I would recommend a channel, Gavin Ordland, he has quoted directly from early church fathers that images were used in by early Christians, but not for worship. Icons are exclusively used for worship, as you mentioned, prayer to saints, prayer to, for intercession. That was not the case in the early church. That was a development over time. It happened in the 600s during the iconoclast controversy. Hence, again, why they're doubling down on we should venerate the images, death to the iconoclasts. I mean, anathema, pretty much death, go to hell. So, and it was a development over time. That's not the tradition of the fathers, even if St. Luke 
painted something. Right. He was used, he would have been using it for instruction and teaching, as Pope Gregory the Great said that we should use images for not for worship, but we should use it for to teach illiterate people. So Christians did use these things. We have examples of people like Epiphanius of Salamis from Cyprus, who saw outside of outside of a church saw an image of an angel crafted on a piece of a piece of cloth, and he's, and he asked. The bishop, what is wrong? Paraphrasing, what is wrong with you? Tear that down. And he single handedly just went down and tore down the image of an angel out from, from the church. So there is precedent that images were either only used for just teaching and instruction for illiterate people or decoration. The use of the way it's used for Eastern Orthodoxy now developed over time and it is a I was. I would just say it, it is. Idol, it is pretty much idolatry with it with a regular Eastern Orthodox person. Oh yeah, and, and it's one thing to just talk about it on paper, um, and and again, if you're Eastern Orthodox, they'll defend themselves night and day. Um, they'll go to the, the Greek and say that they're giving um, uh, honor, but not worship. And then you actually look at the real Hebrew and Greek, and there's no difference between honor and uh, worship. They, they mean the same thing. God forbids both to, to somebody who's not God. But in any case, that's all on paper. If you actually look at images, look at services, like Sebastian said, you go into an Eastern Orthodox church, the idolatry is overwhelming. So it's it's like it's one thing to talk about it on paper and you think, okay, well, maybe like maybe you could be convinced by uh, Eric Alharb or some other Eastern Orthodox person speaking to you um, without looking at the idolatry. But you go and look at it and you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, there's a famous <laughs> congressman in the United States that um, they were trying to ban obscene images um, in the U.S., pornography. And somebody asked him, well, how do you define what's obscene from what's art and whatever else? And he says, you know obscene images when you see them. You know pornography when you see it. And it's the same way with idolatry. Like, you can try to get really technical on exactly what's idolatry, but, like, anybody with the soul knows that somebody is some babushka, like you said, running up to um, the divider between the priests, the priestly class and the lowly peasants um, on the other side of the divider, um, a giant picture of some saint, um, St. Michael, and then them running up and kissing it, lighting a candle and putting money on it and flowers. Like, that's that's worship, kiddo. Um, like I said, I have it higher on my list. My number four um, is not idolatry. It's not the, the veneration of icons. It is the church and state mix. Sebastian said it was his honorable mention, um, so I won't dwell on it too much. But uh, yeah, the fact that they have mixed church and state, um, they've given the state way too much power inside of the church. And because of that, um, they allow the state to basically dictate what Christian teaching is. And um, while I understand the reasons for it in that you want to enforce good Orthodox teaching across your nation, totally get it. Um, but they have intertwined way too closely in a way that mixes the, um, the civil authority with the sphere of the church authority, which the scriptures say you should not mix. Um, not only that, but it also, it just call it like, Scriptures say it, yes, amen, and that should be the most important reason. But because the scriptures say it, reality bears out that it's not a good idea. And uh, the state has abused the church in Eastern Orthodox uh, countries in in more ways than even their official teaching would tell you. Um, like the Russian Orthodox Church, for instance, super corrupt. Um, there's been many statements on behalf of the Kremlin um, that have really nothing to do with Christian teaching. Uh, and they say with the authority of supposedly the church and Christ himself. So um, that's... My number four reason why I am not Eastern Orthodox because of that dangerous church state mix. All right, yep, Sebastian, yep. number three, your third most important reason you are not an Eastern Orthodox. Yes, since the Reformation, the rejection of sola scriptura mm -hmm. as our only source for doctrine and teaching. 
which is pretty much like solid scriptura. It's not not the straw man. It's just you randomly sitting under a tree, and then you're trying to guess what the apostles or Jesus or any of the prophets try to say. No, rather, solid scriptura is the church. Any Christian should derive our understanding of God from the Bible alone and not from any other source. The Eastern uh, Orthodox, like Catholics, but again, they have their own different take on it. They hold to scripture and tradition. The Eastern Orthodox would actually say that the Bible counsels and the, not the Eucharist, the liturgy, all of those things are tradition. Whereas the Catholics, again, more systematized, they say it's the church, I mean, the magisterium of the church, excuse me, the Pope, the papacy, the cardinals, tradition and Bible. The Eastern Orthodox say all of it is tradition, part of the part of church life. So their rejection of that has led to many, I would say, obscene teachings. For example, the, what we just talked about on trying to excuse idolatry for veneration of icons or the... Or in, or in a more modern sense, the misunderstanding of justification and sanctification because the church has supposedly passed down through tradition. This is how we understand uh, salvation. This is how you understand life as a Christian because we say so as the church. Yeah, or all the Marian dogma. I mean, they have a lot of the same Catholic bad dogmas because, uh, you know, if they're doing it, we should probably do it too. But uh they don't hold to them. I, I don't think at least that they don't by and large hold to them as anathema worthy um, positions of doctrine that they hold on, on Mary, but equally they hold to Marian doctrines um, like her perpetual virginity or um, her ascension to heaven and things like that. They call it the assumption, whatever. Um, these are things that are handed down purely by oral tradition, clearly not by the Bible, and they are dangerous beliefs. I don't know about the ascension of Mary. I don't know if they believe that she is bodily assumed to heaven. I, I don't know if, the, if there was there was one Marian dogma that they do re, that they do reject. But anyway, it doesn't. I think they reject her um, immaculate conception. But I could be. Wrong. Ah, okay. I could be. I, I know the church is. Um, it's not official doctrine for a lot of them, and so I would imagine it shifts church to church. Yes. Yeah. So as as you see a pattern, some, for some things it's hard to pin down exactly the position of the whole Eastern Orthodox Church, except for icons. But you know. For other things, hard to pin down. <laughs> they have a couple, like you said, like the, the on the Trinity. Great. I mean, I really appreciate their their strong stance in the Trinity. Mm-hmm. My number three reason why I am not an Eastern Orthodox is their authority structures. This kind of gets to the tradition bit. It kind of gets to the spirituality bit. But they are um, just like Catholics in this way. Um, they use it as a, a cudgel um, against non-Eastern Orthodox in saying that they are the only true church. Um, some of them these days are getting kind of soft and they're saying, okay, there's a lot of them. They're apostolic. Our commenter, um, which again, you can go to any of our recent episodes and see Eric Alharb and see what his uh, argument has to say. He's an American um, Eastern Orthodox, meaning slightly different than, than traditional Eastern Orthodox. But in any case, um, they hold that if you're not part of your the, the true church, you're really lost. Um, again, some of them have softened on this and say, well, if at least if you have an apostolic tradition, there's hope for you. Um, but they... They use this top-down structure where Christ's church is unified. Uh, it could not be unified. Um, could be federalized like we believe it is. And so, therefore, if you're outside of the Eastern Orthodox Church, you're pretty much lost. Um, and then they can get even more minute and say that if you're outside of the Bulgarian Eastern Orthodox Church, you're also um, lost. Depends on how uh, spicy that particular church is. Again, Russia is kind of a prime um, 
instance of this now where a lot of them are anathematizing the Russian Orthodox Church and the Russian Orthodox Church is then anathematizing the other churches, um, et cetera, et cetera. But the authority structures that they have where they have one patriarch and then they have such a top-down structure, um, as much as they've been reluctant to push uh, doctrines for the past a thousand years, um, I'm grateful because they've had a lot of bad beliefs that they just haven't turned into doctrine yet. Um, but on the yeah. other hand, they, they don't allow... Um, a lot of things that they should. And I think that top-down structures like that um, end up with um, vicious cycles of, of bad authority. Like you said, Sebastian, they hold to oral tradition of not just um, supposed ancients, but also of their own leaders. And that's just a terrible place to be, I believe. Like we hold, uh, Protestants hold uh, typically to um, the teachings of reformers. However, we do not hold them in, in nearly the same reverence that somebody would hold an ex-patriarch or um, other church fathers because they're just fallible men like me and you. Like. Calvin, I like John Calvin. Um, if he says something wrong, he said something wrong. You know, he's not infallible. And I'd be like, okay, yeah, he got that part wrong. He's Presbyterian. I don't agree. Uh, I, I respect John Calvin. Um, if it wasn't idolatry, I'd kiss his little kiss his little mouth, uh, his icon. <laughs> so if it is idolatry, so I'm not going to do that. But uh, he is just a fallible man like anybody else. He does not bring oral tradition. Um, he's just just a teacher, and he gets his root from the scripture, and so should be. So that's the number three reason I reject the Orthodox Church is that it is, it is uh, got a bad top-down authority structure that has caused tradition to seep into the church. All right, easy peasy lemon squeezy. We've done we've done a lot of build-up for these, so we're going to start to be kind of quick about our explanations just because we've talked about them already. But Sebastian, what is your number two? Your number two reason you are not Eastern Orthodox? That they reject original sin and total depravity. So. This this is a little known fact one, and you know, like your average person who knows about Eastern Orthodox does not know this like huge theological difference. But go ahead. Sure, and so they have a different understanding of the nature of man, which makes sense you know, after the fall. And we'll see how the image of God is really overemphasized by the Eastern Orthodox. I have a book from *The Western Eyes* by Robert Lethem, Presbyterian, a Calvinist, trying to explain in Protestant terms Protestant um, Orthodoxy. It's pretty good summary i recommend it and actually no this is synergism i don't need the synergism yet oh here it is corollary is that the eastern orthodox teaching of sin differs from the reformed it is correct in asserting that adam disobeyed the will of god with the result that disease and death entered the world a new form of existence coming into effect this new scenario it maintains affects all adam's descendants due to the unity of the human race its impact is not only in the physical realm, but also the spiritual as well. So that is thereafter difficult to do what pleases God and very easy to sin. That is what we would hold to, you know, as original sin, that our nature has been changed and therefore we're inclined to evil. With the Eastern Orthodox, you have a different position with the nature of man. So Adam, they would say, or Orthodox would say, Adam fell not from perfection, but from a state of undeveloped simplicity. The results are less grave than the West maintains. While his mind was darkened and he was cut off from God, Adam was not rendered incapable of God's grace. He was not, the Orthodox insists, depraved in every faculty of his being. He has never been deprived of his freedom. The image of God has been distorted, but not destroyed. End quote. And I don't know. I don't know. I want. To, I have another quote, Michael, from Vladimir Lossky, You know, an actual, an Eastern Orthodox. But do you want to comment on that, or should I just 
this is one of the uh, most frustrating doctrinal differences between um, Eastern Orthodox and Protestant, in my humble opinion. It's something that Eric Elharb, my commenter um, favorite, was harping on like mad. And I, I, I'll say I really don't care for the most part. You think <laughs> that I would, because it should be foundational to the whole gospel and that man has sinned and therefore needs redemption. And if or the Eastern Orthodox are basically saying man hasn't sinned, then, then that's a problem. However, the way I understand it and the way Eric described it and even the way they're putting it here, their rejection of the doctrine of original sin um, to me isn't actually rejecting the core message and that is that we have all sinned and therefore we need redemption like they believe that adam sinned in his life and therefore needed redemption that we have sinned and need redemption they don't say that men are like like pelagianism would say that men are um clean and able to find uh, salvation themselves they, they don't believe that really um they believe that every man descended needs needs salvation so in that case i'm like okay we're on the same footing um they really have a problem, like you said, like you described from the book there, you quoted from the book there, with saying that we are slaves to sin. Even though the Bible says that in multiple times, they have a problem with saying we're slaves to sin. They'd rather say that we're free um, to choose God, and therefore Adam was free to choose God. And they say this, um, I think, retroactively, but whatever, take your, take your pick, um, because they believe that Christ was a human, and if human nature is depraved, then Christ would have been depraved, and he wasn't depraved, and therefore he must... There must be some freedom in human nature to not do evil. Um, otherwise, like, either Jesus was, like, taken over by the divine spirit and therefore wasn't truly human, um, or he, he would have sinned anyway. So they, they do it to try to preserve Christ's nature as a human. Um, again, I think that's retroactive. I think they wanted the freedom to choose, and then, then they came up with a Christ excuse later. Um, but in any case, I don't think it has a ton of impact on the doctrine that's important, which is that we need salvation because of our sin. So I don't think it's that serious. Um, but it is very infuriating because they, they think it's super important. <laughs> and also, um, it gets really close to Pelagianism if you don't play it right. Like, it's a really confusing stance to say that we aren't um, sinners from birth because then you end up with the, you end up with the Pelagian question. Like, well, can we be saved by our own good works? Like, do we need salvation? Of uh, which they would say no. So I think it's just an, an odd position to take. I don't agree with it, of course, because there's plenty of things about Adam's federal headship and that his actual sin and our deprived nature— um, David calls himself wicked before he was born. Um, Esau was hated um, before he was born, uh, and Jacob loved. So, like, there, there's plenty of examples in the Bible of men being totally depraved. Um, but in any case, no one's accepted very... God. Not yes. even one. Right. I mean, so there's plenty of ways that I would defend the doctrine of original sin. However, I would say that uh, because they still hold that man sins without exception, I don't think it's a super material difference. Well, let me add to your frustration, though, just for just for fun, from Vladimir Lossky. Evil entered into the world through the will. It is not a nature, fusis, but a condition, hexis. The nature of good is stronger than the habit of evil, says Dialogus of Fotike. For good exists, while evil does not exist, or rather it exists only at the moment in which it is practiced. According to St. Gregory of Nyssa, sin is a disease of the will which is deceived and takes a mere shadow of the good for the good itself. For this reason, the very desire to taste of the fruit of knowledge and good and evil was itself a sin. For, according to St. Gregory, knowledge presupposes a certain disposition towards the object one wishes to know. And evil, being in itself non-existent, ought not to be known. Evil becomes a reality only by means of the will, in which alone it subsists. It is the will which gives evil a certain being. And then he goes on to talk about Adam and his will how he, and how it's 
know, he chose to turn away from God. So there's an overemphasis on choosing, on being able to still, you're, you're not totally depraved to the point that you cannot choose God. So it is very similar to the Armenian, they will probably agree to an extent with the Armenian position that when you experience the grace of God, you have the ability to either turn it, uh, not turn it, what I'm saying, to either accept it or mm-hmm. reject it. I would, I would say most Eastern Orthodox would say that. Yeah, and I'll say from my comments with Eric Ahara, my, again, my commenter, Pebrito, uh, he, uh, I was I was trying to fit him into the Arminian viewpoint because I accept Arminians as Christians, maybe, and this, on this level of his description of human depravity, he's actually Orthodox, like I can agree with him at least, even if I don't actually agree with him doctrinally, like I can accept him into the fold. Um, he rejected... And so I think Eastern Orthodox in general reject the Arminian position because the Arminian position says that you need God's grace. You are totally depraved until like that's the one part of Tulip that that Arminians share with with Calvinists is that they believe humanity is totally depraved until God gives grace. Um, They do not believe that um, you are totally depraved ever and that, yes, God gives you grace, but he gives the whole world grace, the same grace. So it's not even a special grace that unlocks your heart. Like you, from your birth, you're able to accept Christ. It's like it's not a, it's not a, a limiting factor. So I think that's just a total rejection of total depravity, and therefore um, pretty pretty central to the gospel. Um, that I disagree with, um, more so than just saying that original sin doesn't exist. Is this whole thought that you don't need a special grace from God? That's that's more close to the gospel rejection than mm-hmm. uh, than just saying you don't believe in original sin. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a good number two then, worthy, if it touches that close to salvation. My number two, and we already touched on it, is the idolatry thing. Um, <laughs> it's under the anathema. It's so disgusting. It's like the most vicious reaction I have from seeing Catholics and Hindus and Eastern Orthodox alike is when they go into their temples and they're covered, covered with idolatry. Like you said, the Roman Catholics have idolatry, of course. They got the... They got the big saints everywhere and Mary up there and they touch and kiss and all the rest. And there's big statues, which I guess is extra offensive. I mean, I don't, I don't think of it as being any more offensive than uh, to the individual, but in any case, but, but even Catholics typically, although it depends on the church, don't have the, the flamboyant level of idolatry that Eastern Orthodox churches have because they're so pro icon. Like you said, they give the anathema to those who aren't pro icon. Um, you go in to the churches and they're colorful, they're huge, they're um, central to worship. Again, they're usually on the dividing screen too, so you can't help but see them all. And it's vicious. It's it's disgusting. And again, the fact <laughs> that they put it in the anathema is like, I don't know, it's my number two visceral reaction reason why I'm not Eastern Orthodox is because of the um, super Nebuchadnezzar level idolatry going on. Well put. All right, Sebastian, the time has come. We're 38 minutes into the episode. We need your number one reason why you are not an Eastern Orthodox Christian. The most important reason, their understanding of theosis, which in very short terms, it is similar to the Catholic mixture of justification and sanctification. Theosis, it means deification in, in Greek. Not to become gods, but you grow closer and closer to the image of God. And the main problem that we have with this, as you have seen from our commenter, is that your standing before God is contingent on the grace of Jesus Christ, that we all agree, otherwise we're Pelagius, we all slap Pelagius, so that's good. 
and on your performance as a Christian. Your walk with Christ affects how your proper standing before God on judgment, which we say goes against the teaching of the Bible, the fathers, you know, just for the fun of it, why not? And also uh, the apostles and prophets in the Old Testament. This is a dangerous, 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 dangerous mistake in understanding that the Eastern Orthodox Church introduced, I would say, a long time after its founding. I would say John Chrysostom would have highly emphasized the walk, the Christian walk, the call for holiness, as we do, for the record, as we do, for any person listening out there. But we were justified before God, according to John Chrysostom, through faith, before we did anything worthy of God. There's nothing we brought to the table. Read his commentaries on Romans, Ephesians. I, I think I quote, I've cited from his commentaries on Ephesians, if not um, Colossians, but uh, in other episodes. But he emphasizes over and over and over again, before Abraham did anything good or bad, he was credited righteous through faith. And faith alone. So, you know, faith alone is not a Protestant invention. You can check with this Greek fellow who used the word faith alone over... Uh, 1400 years ago. So this is their dividing line, I would say, as we have done with Roman Catholics too, their confusion with justification and sanctification. Yeah. And the reason we make this core, it's also my number one, I call it projection of the gospel, but it's summarized. In, so that's just the summary of it. It goes into what Sebastian just said is this mixture of, of works and faith. Um, the reason we emphasize it so much is because it's emphasized by Paul. It's emphasized by scripture as being a close and yet totally anathema version of the gospel. Galatians calls it out. Galatians, there's the Judaizers, pretty famous book, famous address to these Judaizers who believe in Christ. They believe you need faith in Christ, um, but they also believe that you must keep the law. And if you do not keep the law, including circumcision and the rest, um, you won't be saved. You, you need the law and God. And if you know Paul, you know that Paul is an advocate for the law. He even uses obscure agricultural law practices to say that you need to feed your um, pay your pay your pastors, and so we also, me and Sebastian, and the Protestant movement, for the most part, again, we we call out those who aren't, and um, we try to call them out. Um, but Orthodox Protestants are also very pro law, pro the law of God. We know that Christ has fulfilled it, but in His fulfilling, there's still valid parts of the law. Um, th so, so that's not our our problem with the Judaizers. Our problem with the Judaizers is not that they believe in Jesus, nor that they believe in the law, but that they believe the law is what justifies them. They believe it's faith in Christ and the good works that they do. And we thoroughly reject this because if you stand before God on judgment day thinking that you are saved by any part of your works, like you wouldn't be saved it had not been for your works uh, at some point, you will fail because if any part of your works is judged, as James says, if you fall short in one part of the law, you break the whole law. So when the Lord looks at your works and you're standing on your works, he'll say, okay, you know, kissed your grandma, gave the poor person 50 bucks, um, and looked with lust. Hell. That's, that's how it works. Any sin goes to hell. Um, and the the vast, vast difference in the understanding between Eastern Orthodox and Protestants was very apparent in the comments of Eric Alharb. Um, I'll say this was the most uh, back and forth we had was discussing this because I was trying to give him grace in being an Arminian, essentially, and just believing you have free choice. Um, but eventually your your um, standing before God is judged by Jesus Christ alone and his work in your heart. 
um, because I'll give the full background here is new to me. So maybe it'll be new to our users, our listeners, the, his, his understanding of this, this could be totally Western, could be totally American version of Eastern Orthodox was that when everybody dies and all things are made new and it's final judgment day, Christ is going to resurrect every single person, uh, wicked or not. Okay. I think we're in agreement there. It's a, it's a uh, yeah. vision in revelation as he resurrects some to eternal destruction and some to eternal life. So everybody's resurrected. All creation is made new. And his, his position was the Eastern Orthodox position here, at least the American Eastern Orthodox position was that God will, there, there won't be really a judgment at all. There, there won't be a, a judgment, great white throne, a judgment scene. There, there's no sin being judged at all. There's no courtroom because Christ essentially universally saves everyone. He, he died for the sin of the world. Therefore, every bit of the curse of sin that was on creation, all the death is done away with. So nobody's charged for their sin. However, what he, what he believes is that hell and the punishment and judgment on sinners is that they won't love God. Their hearts have not been changed. They'll have a pleroma that's, or a, I'm, I'm forgetting my Greek words. Pleroma is a Greek word, but I don't think that's what he was using. Um, in any case, some, some P word, uh, inclination. Plethora? No. Thank you. Yes. Phronema. It's just whatever. I don't, I don't care about the Greek. An inclination. Um, <laughs> of a heart that, that hates God. And so their punishment, their hell, is that they're, they're walking around forever. I mean, we also believe they, they exist forever in hell. They're just their punishment. So their hell is being around on the new creation of the new earth, but they hate it. So it's just like the vision in Revelation where they're outside of the city or they're sweeping in Ashtip or else. They're there in the new heavens and the new earth, but they hate God. And I'm like, okay, I mean, I don't really agree with that. I think God sends in hell. There is a final judgment, whatever else. Um, but like conceptually, they're still getting their punishment. So I'm okay there. And um, I do believe that those who go to hell hate God. And their their punishment is essentially for hating God. Like, it's all the list of sins, but the list of sins can be summed up in, in their hatred for God. So, like, okay, I got it. But then on the flip side, he says those who are saved are saved because they have an inclination towards God. So he says even people with, like, little faith, they're still saved because they have an inclination towards God, um, even if they didn't, like, do mighty, mighty works. Okay, great, because you wouldn't want to make the bar for being a Christian to have some huge, mighty works. Um, however, we dug deep into that one because I'm like, okay, how does one become one that's inclined towards God? And essentially, he, he did not clearly answer the question, but what we gathered was that he believed you became you became one who is inclined towards God, i.e. one that ends up being saved, goes to heaven, loves God, by doing good works. So you you if you chose to do good works and you did the good works your heart would change to be inclined towards god in in theosis in yeah. becoming like god and so therefore your good works saved you and he did not believe in a distinction between the saved and the unsaved because he said you don't really know that you're saved until the end and therefore you can't call yourself saved until the end you can't call somebody unsaved until the end um yeah so that, that fundamentally is a rejection of the gospel because you believe that you're being saved by your works in fact you're totally throughout the whole you're judged for your sin at all um, but you think you make your heart better by good works, which we agree that your heart is edified, your mind is edified. All You go through tons of edification as a Christian by doing good works. We believe that you should do good works and not doing good works is a sign that you are not saved. So all of that, we're not, we're not free gracers. We don't believe that you can just get your ticket punched and then go to heaven. However, we believe the entirety of your righteousness depends on Christ. And that when the Bible says that Christ comes to repay each man according to his works, he repays Christians according to his his own works. Because if he repaid Christians according to their works, they would die. They'd die in their sins. 
Um, so when we are judged on judgment day, Christ will not judge us. God will not judge us based on our human efforts. We will get rewarded for our good works, but all of our sin is placed on Christ. And therefore, those works will not be judged. Christ's works will be judged. And so we, we will get honor and glory and whatever else for the good works that we've done on earth. I'm not saying that we won't. We'll have better hearts in heaven because of the work we've done on earth. Amen. But the final decision on whether or not we are one inclined towards God or one that that hates God is not our choice, is purely the Lord's choice. He wins his own to himself, and it's him who changes our heart, not men. So, again, that's the reason, number one reason me and Sebastian are both not Eastern Orthodox is because they, they reject the fundamental peace with God and salvation that comes in Jesus Christ. And this isn't just my opinion or Michael's or John Calvin or Chrysostom or their mom, whoever it may be. We can take this from scripture it's itself from romans 5 therefore since we have been justified through faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ so to whom through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand so again that highlights what we talked about we have been justified done deal come on eastern orthodox get on with the program and then because of that justification entirely by jesus christ we now can bear fruits of the spirit but our performance is not contingent on our will or, or, or our, you know, our, what, what, what you what you do. You will be, there are different rewards in heaven, as the, Jesus Himself uh, talks about with the denarius, you know, talents that are mm-hmm. given to people, and but those are rewards. Some people will make it to heaven by the skin of their teeth, burning away all useless things that they acquired in this life that wasn't godly or productive. And there's some that will be giving many things in God's kingdom. But again, your performance does not affect your final your final standing, heaven or hell, meaning final judgment for God. And what you said, Michael, I think is actually what any Eastern Orthodox person would say, what um, your the commenter, Eric, mm-hmm. said. Or right from the eloquent, I read, excuse me, from the eloquent uh, Vladimir Lossky. As here, Eastern tradition has always asserted simultaneously in the synergy of divine grace and human freedom. As Saint Macarius of Egypt says, the will of man is an essential condition, for without it, God does nothing. In the 19th century, Bishop Theophanes a great Russian ascetic writer asserted that the Holy Ghost acting within us accomplishes with us our salvation. But he says at the same time that being assisted by grace, man accomplishes the work of his salvation. And that's, so there's the synergy. Yeah. And, and Eric, like you said, kept emphasizing synergy, synergy, synergism. He believed modernism was was cultic and uh, evil. Synergism was the way to go. And I was trying to cut him a lot of grace because we cut grace to Arminians who have a different position on God's sovereignty than us, um, on how he acts on it. And they believe in a sort of synergism in that you choose God after he chooses you. Um, ultimately, I think that's orthodoxically, orthodoxically, it's a form of monergism they really believe in um, because it's God choosing who to grace. Um, but... Uh, this synergism that, that Eric was describing is like you just described it, Sebastian. It is not just that man participates in 
his salvation, um, which we all agree that man participates in his salvation as far as like he's the one that's saved. So he's participating by being the one that's saved and getting better and doing good works and blah, blah, blah. Like we're all in agreement there. Um, and Eric kept pointing out that if, if you don't believe in synergism, you believe in free grace that you, that man doesn't do good works. And I'm like, well, that's no, cause I, I don't believe in synergism and I believe that, that man, um, does good works once he's saved. I don't believe the actual salvation is a work of both man and God. I believe that it is purely from God. And and when we say salvation there, we mean justification before him on the final judgment day, not the many other ways you can use the word salvation and justification to mean becoming a better person. So yes, that is the fundamental difference between us two. If you want to see giant treatises on it, um, you can go to the comment section. You can see 40 long reply strings of huge essays that we sent back and forth. Eric, if you're listening, I'd love to have you on the podcast, um, either whether live or, or not live at all, um, just to talk it out so that it's not all in text. Um, but to those who aren't Eric and are listening, I highly encourage you to uh, think about why you are a Christian if you are a Christian. Would you draw the same lines that me and Sebastian are by saying that the Eastern Orthodox Church has lost the gospel? Um, or do you think it's not a big deal? We'd love to hear in the comments section below. Um, there are plenty of those who are trying to bring the church back together in a certain way. And uh, I believe these are reasons we cannot, not yet at least. So any any closing comments, Sebastian, before we let him go? To any To any Eastern Orthodox person, I know that they might say Protestants are uh, a joke, that they're silly, that they don't stand on the shoulders of giants. They were Gnostic. Like, Goodness gracious. Gnostic, whatever insult you want to throw in there, iconoclasts, know that we share this. We call to go back to the to the original sources. We, we pun intended, we venerate the same church fathers that, uh, in a different way, not with uh, images and icons, but we do hold in high esteem people that have built the church. We do stand on the shoulders of giants. So we will go back to uh, Ignatius of Antioch, Polycarp, John Chrysostom, and other Catholics, Augustine, you name it. All these great people are what uh, we hold in respect. We look to as good examples. They're not infallible, but the Protestant movement didn't just come out of nowhere. It was a call back to going to the original sources, to scripture, to what does the Bible say? What does God himself say? And what he says, I would say clearly in the book of Romans, on Ephesians, how can you have peace with God? It is not just a matter of seeking out the Holy Spirit or seeking uh, grace, as Saint Seraphim of Sadov would say, and by acquiring grace, then you accomplish, you finalize your salvation. No, the Bible speaks strongly against that. You cannot add anything to the finished work of Jesus Christ. It is on his work, 100% alone, that you must go to, that you must seek, that you must cover yourself with. If you say it's 99% Jesus and 1% me sealing the deal, as I just read from Vladimir Lossky, again, a very, one of the most famous theologians of the modern Orthodox Church, you will find yourself with a very nasty surprise on Judgment Day, Jesus saying, I never knew you, get out of here and go outside where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You may say, I have done, look, Lord, haven't I done all these wonderful things for you? Feeding the poor, clothing, uh, the homeless, you, you listed, uh, you name it. But if you don't stand covered fully in the righteousness, fully, I mean 100% fully, in the righteousness of Christ, 
you will not find yourself in God's kingdom. kingdom. So we call anyone out there, Orthodox or Catholic, any other, any other system out there that doesn't rely fully on Jesus Christ to repent and trust in him and him alone to have your eternal, secure peace and eternal dwelling with Amen. that same Lord Jesus Christ whom we serve. Exactly. And just to pin it all off, because of the way the true gospel works, you can change any day by the work of the Holy Spirit and instantaneously be regenerated and saved and know that you are justified forever in the work of Jesus Christ. So again, we call you to quick repentance while the day is still young and while you're hearing it, while there's still time to repent, repent and turn fully to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's why we have found our cars and serving that very same Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening, for a full up. We, we always think these are going to be quick episodes. They're never quick episodes. I've been Michael, the man behind the machine, and to my virtual friend has been Sebastian, the bookkeeper. Thank you for listening. If you want to see the rest of our episodes, you can go to foundcause.podbean.com and download them all for your listening pleasure. Um, you won't get Theodore's one takes there and you won't get um, some of the other episodes that just aren't good for non-visual things. So if you want to see our, our beautiful faces and Theodore's one takes and all the rest, you'll have to go to our YouTube where you'll find us on Facebook as well or our Found Cause and both. Um, we had a really good formal debate recently that actually went off well. Um, I want to formally apologize, not that he's ever going to listen here, but we had a, we had another Roman Catholic dude that we tried to debate with. I was it, it did not technically work out like multiple times. It technically didn't work out where we like did a debate and it totally failed to record or something went wrong. So I'm really glad that that one did not go wrong. I'd encourage you to watch it because I think it went well. Um, until next time, we talk about something completely different. Thank you for listening. Bye bye. Bye.